Welcome to the Shilling Toastmasters podcast. We come to you weekly from Shilling Speakers Toastmasters Club. An online club with global membership in District 91 in the UK. Dear listeners, welcome to Shilling Toastmasters podcast. This week we have Philippa Gray, Paul Omani, and me, Violetta Saladiene. And we start our podcast with the big idea of the week. And now I want to ask Philippa. Philippa, what is your big idea of the week? Thank you, Violetta. As I will explain in more detail later, I succeeded in being elected to my local council since I last recorded a podcast. But my big idea came, actually it wasn't my big idea, but as I approached election day, I had to have some very firm words with myself that come the day I needed to uh, remember the words of If by Rudyard Kipling, meeting triumph and disaster and treating those imposters both the same. That was absolutely essential. Yes, uh, it was going to be, always going to be a quite emotive, dramatic night. It's important not to get upset, not to get triumphant. There are more people going to lose than win, and I needed to be gracious if I was one of them, and just as gracious if I wasn't. So that was my big thought. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Philippa. I think you are very excited. And also this big responsibility now is over your shoulders and uh, you have um, that excitement and uh, uh, stress all together. And I think, but uh, calmly and slowly you will figure it out and uh, you will be perfect counsellor, I do believe. May I ask Philippa a question, please? Uh, Philippa, which... Uh political party did you get elected for and where in the country were you elected uh, as a councillor? Were you elected as a privy councillor or did you say a borough councillor? I'm a borough councillor in Havant, which is on the south coast of England. It's the home of shilling speakers. We started a few months before Covid in a pub in Havant and then went global and have never looked back. But no, I am a borough councillor. Oh, lovely. And you were elected for the Toastmasters party, is that right? Uh, no, I'm afraid not. I am a Liberal Democrat. Um, oh. I'm not sure how the Toastmasters party would go down. Uh, obviously, it would not be political. I think you will find that uh, people quite frequently try to start non-political political parties in the UK and they have a lot of fun at elections but they don't actually get elected. Thank you uh, Philippa. Can I give you my big idea now uh, Violetta? Sure, sure Paul. We are waiting for your big idea. Well my idea is a big problem and I'm working on it right now and I'm um, also in addition to being a member of Shilling Speakers, I'm a member of uh, 
club in uh, District uh, 71. And I've been asked by District 71 organizer of judges to help with getting judges for the Friday of the conference for eight, would you believe it, eight semifinals on the same day for which judges are needed. Now, you can calculate for yourself how many judges are required. But isn't it a crazy idea to have eight semifinals on the same day, live, not pre-recorded last week, and at eight o'clock in the morning on Friday 26th, two semifinals of topic contests will start. They'll go on from eight o'clock till a quarter past nine. And at something like 9.45, for another hour and a quarter, there'll be another contest, the evaluation contest. And I won't go through the rest of them. There's another one around midday, and there's another one about two and a half in the afternoon. And what a problem. Would you, would anybody like to be organizing judges for that? Now, here is my big idea. A district should organize all its judges from another district about three months ahead. As soon as they know the dates for the district speech contests, they should go to the other side of the world and, uh, you know, get 10 judges for each contest and uh, don't have to worry at all about matching people from different divisions and different this and that and whether people are in the same club. So that's my big idea. Let's stop having judges from our own district. And let's do a deal with another district to do all of their judging. And wouldn't that simplify things? That's Paul's idea. That's Paul's problem. Uh, thank you, Paul. It's very valuable, actually. And uh, it's a bit, yes, I agree with you. It's crazy. If the conference starts at 8 in the morning. When I opened the program and saw it, I was surprised. Yeah, I thought it will start something like from nine-ish or ten o'clock. What's your big idea, Violetta? Have you been thinking this week? Thank you, Paul. Yes, of course I have a big idea of this week. Uh, the whole week I was thinking about uh, artificial intelligence as I had an opportunity to listen to several speeches and I also watched some YouTube videos and a lot of people on social media and uh, everywhere, at work, at home, everywhere speaking about this new phenomena, chat GPT, and how uh, they try to use it and um, experiences they share. I also did some research and just wanted to share some thoughts of it, that uh, artificial intelligence can, can be a very powerful and helpful tool for us. It can boost productivity uh, by automating repetitive and time-consuming tasks like data entry, invoicing, scheduling, and customer support via chatbots. Artificial intelligence-powered virtual assistants like Google Assistant, Alexa, and Siri, we use actually every day 
and many people use them at home. We, we know that you can buy Alexa on Amazon. And it also can help us with a range of everyday tasks like setting reminders or searching for information, which can save time both at work and everyday life. But on the other hand, artificial intelligence is considered as a risk of taking people's jobs, such as writing, editing, proofreading, or data analysis. But as I mentioned, recently I watched a video by Wall Street Journal and on how China is using artificial intelligence in education, in classrooms. I wanted to share some thoughts of, from that video, as I think it's a very significant experience for pupils that are in a primary school. Primary school students wear headbands that measure each student's level of concentration, and then all information is sent to teachers' computer and parents. Classrooms also have robots that analyze students' health and engagement levels. Surveillance cameras monitor how often they check their phones and even yawn. Moreover, it was also revealed that the data they collect isn't anonymous and goes straight to the government. Well, for me, it sounds crazy and scary that primary school children are part of a such experiment. I think in primary school, they're supposed to be happy and playful, but not stressed, wearing a brainwave headband and constantly monitored. It feels like a child is put into a frame to be perfect, successful, and focused to get only best grades, with no room for mistakes. Otherwise, they may be punished. So... That's my big idea of the week. Back to you, Paul. Well, we now have an interview. The second part of this podcast is a, a very important person who uh, comes from a very important place, who's going to say something very important. So I'm going to hand over to Violetta, who's going to do a very important interview. Violetta, off you go. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. Dear listeners, our guest today is a Toastmaster who joined organization in 2010. She has chartered two clubs in two districts, District 71 and District 91, one in each. So soon chattering her third and advanced online club. She's a distinguished Toastmaster twice over and is not far from her third, which will be her first Pathways DTM. She has delivered eight youth leadership programs, seven from speaker to trainer courses. She has served as District 71 Administration Manager and as Area Director in each district and won Area Director of the Year for District 91. She has reached the District 71 Finals for both Evaluation and Table Topics Contest and was the District 91 Trainers Bureau Manager in 2020-21. She's currently serving 
on the committee as vice president for education of three clubs, two of which are advanced. She's a TEDx speaker and runs her own business called Get Your Message Across, where she works with neurodivergent adults and their friends, family, and co-workers to leverage their skills and insight by providing an interpreter service and training courses to enhance communication and behaviors. She regularly speaks to local groups to increase awareness and education for both autistic and non-autistic adults. Please welcome Sam Warner. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Gosh, that gets longer all the time, doesn't it? I really need to write a short one. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Sam, for coming to Shilling Toastmasters podcast. You know, your bio is very impressive. <laughs> yes. And today's interview, I would like to ask a lot of questions, actually. And to start with, yeah. How did you come up with the idea to join Toastmasters? Well, it was actually an accident. I didn't mean to. <laughs> it wasn't my idea. <laughs> I was coaching somebody who was truly terrified of public speaking and I suggested she might want to find some kind of public speaking group that might boost her confidence and she was so terrified she asked if I would go with her and as a, as a good coach I went of course I'll come with you thinking I'll just I'll, I'm accompanying her nothing else is going to happen and then uh, she went back to India. She was over here on secondment for a year. And I kind of got the bug. Only I didn't want to commute to Birmingham in the evening from Telford because it's a nightmare travel-wise. So I thought, well, let's have one in Telford. And that's how it started. Yes. And I was stuck then. <laughs> so do you say that you have started Shropshire uh, Speakers Club in, uh, in Telford? Yes, that's the first club I chartered, yeah. Oh, great. <laughs> I'm a member now. For this. <laughs> great to know. Fabulous. And from your bio, I see that you um, have been very proactive as a Toastmaster. Do you enjoy it? Do you enjoy that activity? I do very much. Um, I, I realised very early on that by delivering training to other Toastmasters who are perhaps earlier on in their speaking journey. They might be new to speaking or perhaps they've done a different kind of speaking like teaching and they wanted to do something different like speaking from stage at a conference. I, I found the things that I have learned I can consolidate in my mind if I can tell it to somebody else if I can explain it clearly. That really embedded my knowledge to be able to explain it to someone else. So it's not just joyful to do because I'm helping others. I'm not 100% altruistic. There's definitely something in there for me too because it helps me to feel more confident about my own speaking. Sure, sure. Because Toastmasters, as we all know, is an educational organization and we learn from here a lot definitely guaranteed mm -hmm. and yeah and now um from your bio i would like to ask uh, uh, about youth leadership program 
I've read, and I already told our listeners that you delivered eight, I think, of them. Mm-hmm. Did you work together with Janet Alkema? Or you work separately? And another question, uh, what was the feedback of this program? How did school react? Okay, did they so welcome it? To, to start with, I didn't work with Janet because we're in completely different areas. All right. Uh, I have a habit of doing things that I don't know how to do, which most oh, people that's avoid, great. avoid doing because it's scary, isn't it? To do something you don't know how it to is. do. Oh it my is. goodness, I might do it wrong. I have this very strange, uh, I don't know what to call it, attitude of, well, what's the worst that could happen? <laughs> and so I tend to throw myself into things like putting on TEDx Telford, you know, that was just bonkers. And putting on youth leadership program. The very first one I put on, it was just me. I didn't there were I couldn't explain it effectively to other people because I'd never done it before. I couldn't sell it to other people. So I did it myself. And in fact, I asked three schools if they were interested, and two of them said yes can we start straight away so not only did I start doing it not really know what I'm doing I was doing two schools at the same time in the same week so that was completely nuts and that's just so classic that that happens to me like well if I don't figure it out this way then it'll never be figure figure outable so after I'd done those first two and I kind of got my head around it all I realized that this would be a richer experience for the kids if I could rope in some more Toastmasters and now I knew exactly what it was I could sell it to other Toastmasters for them to come along and that's what we did we ended up doing it in pairs and that worked really well we only had a room full of 15 children so we didn't need a lot of extra Toastmasters and occasionally we'd have someone come in and do like a guest speech just so there was a different voice in the room and the teachers really loved it. Quite often you could see the teachers making notes as well. <laughs> Learning from... Tips for themselves. Yeah, exactly. And we used to rope the teachers in to do table topics, which the kids loved because the teachers really didn't love it. And they loved watching the teachers squirm when we picked them for table topics. So there was a real kind of camaraderie between the kids and me and the teachers I think the whole thing was a great exercise in building a slightly different relationship out of school relationship sort of thing yeah and then yeah sounds like a great experience (laughs) both for you and for children yeah and then they just kept saying can you come back next year (laughs) it's really hard to say no So next time you can count me in. I was actually thinking of doing a youth leadership program, but uh, did not know how to do it properly. Just emailed three schools, but did not get any answer. So probably the wrong schools or wrong email (laughs) to the wrong person. It's always the careers teacher that's most in the the children to be work ready because Ofsted are interested in what activities do schools do to help their children become work ready and of course public speaking is definitely in the right camp so they're really good people to contact although I have had maths teachers and English teachers contact me and say we need your help yeah so maybe next corporate project with the Shropshire speakers could be could be I'd love for a couple of people to go and deliver it. I'm happy to consult with them 
and explain how it's done but the real gift of learning is to throw yourself in and do it and don't just have someone show you how to do it yes yes definitely i agree with you and um, uh, next question i would like to ask you i would like actually that you could share this story how you come up with the idea of delivering tedx talk because that is very interesting for me <laughs> and i already know but i want you to share with your with our listeners yes you would think if someone wanted to do a tedx talk that they would just you know put something together contact a few tedx events and keep applying until someone said yes because that's what most people do well i applied for three or four and i i i got turned down and quite often you don't get, get any feedback so i decided the problem was I didn't understand the entire process and my neurodivergent brain with my autism and my ADHD, I need to know some detail. I need to know the facts. And my brain said, well, that means you need to put on a whole TEDx event in order to learn it all. Then you'll have a fighting chance of doing a TEDx somewhere. So I did that and it was hugely successful fantastic evening amazing experience i was the mc for the night so i was very, very heavily involved i curated all the speakers and everything and then there was that weird moment where you say never again and then two days later someone goes should we do it again next year and you do because you're stupid and uh, <laughs> i had an interesting learning experience about being very full-on control freak for the first one which was very successful and very hands-off delegation, which was not so successful. So I learned a very key experience there that um, when I'm a control freak, stuff happens and it works. So that's my style. I'm not a dictator, but I, uh, yeah, I'm a bit of a control freak, let's say, let's face it. And then after I delivered these two and I was about to start applying, someone asked me, would I like to come and speak at their event? So I didn't have to apply at all. <laughs> yeah that's that's the beauty of the story that i wanted you to share yeah. just invited you yeah after all that <laughs> so uh, creativity is key in person in, for a person i think creativity is key and that's what you do you think out of the box and you get the result and the result is so unexpected and so good that yeah your triumph is just continuing. And, and I have to credit Toastmasters with giving me the experience of creating contest events, area club officer training events, um, TLIs, all of those lovely events that we do that are extra, that we have to organize and put on, was my training for putting on TEDx, without a doubt. It, it's a very similar event in terms of all of the components you need to put the event on and uh well, i'm very grateful to toastmasters for giving me those tools wow thank you thank you sam i could speak with you all day but uh, we have limited time so i would like again to thank you for coming uh, to our podcast and sharing your story with our listeners and that's a lot we can learn from it. And I bet listeners agree with me. So thank you once again for being our guest and for taking your time.
you're very welcome. Uh, my last word would be uh, you absolutely get what you give. Give, 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 and you get it back tenfold, hundredfold. It's absolutely true. Thank you. Great words, great advice for all of us and for listeners as well. With this, we finish our second part of Shilling Toastmasters podcast. And I say, wait for the third one where we have our soapbox and there is a surprise there. So dear listeners, today in our soapbox, we have Philippa and uh, Philippa, floor is yours, soapbox is yours. Thank you, Violetta. And I'm going to talk about the power of perseverance. I have an inability to uh, stand back if I think things need changing. I find that frustrating and I spend my waste my energies fretting about it. I've always wanted the world to be better. And it was quite natural for me when I stopped working to get involved, get properly involved in local politics. I'd been a party member for years and helped as and when I could by delivering and occasionally knocking on doors and absolutely hating canvassing. I'd used to start by apologizing for disturbing people. Sam has just talked to you about uh, doing things that you don't know how to do. Well, yep, I plead guilty to that one as well. I don't think I've quite been as successful as Sam. I certainly haven't chosen to do spectacular things that will get everybody excited like a TEDx. Uh, my doing things I don't know how to do tends to be more um, give me a spreadsheet and let me play and let me produce some accounts and worry about the mistakes in them a bit later, which some people are fine with and completely freak some people out. But anyway, I like to learn new things by doing them. So back in 2015, I stopped work, reconnected with my local party, who sort of saw me coming, invited me to be local party secretary within 30 seconds, and I foolishly said yes. I'd done it before, so that was just mostly a case of taking minutes and organising the AGM. But I was also asked to go out and get nomination papers signed for somebody else. Now, bear in mind, I'd been working full time. I had a wonderful time working in IT across the whole of the south of England. I'd been living in Haven't for years, but basically it was where I um, had a house and where I talked to my husband. I just about knew the neighbours on either side, but that was about it. So I had very little local knowledge and I had to go around knocking on the doors of people I didn't know explaining to them who I was and how I'd really like them to sign this piece of paper saying that a mutual friend who I, again, I knew she was a warm and wonderful person with oodles of integrity and would make a great counsellor, but I couldn't pretend to um, know much about her, and persuade them to sign this piece of paper. And about halfway through the process, I thought, I may as well stand myself. It would be easier to persuade people to uh, sign up for me than 
for a mutual friend. So the following year, I sort of put my name forward. I had no great hopes of winning. I thought, yeah, fine, let's give it a go. Now, I have to explain to uh, global listeners, the UK is one of the few places in the world that elects politicians via first past the post. That is, the person who gets the most votes gets in. And it's not a great way of electing an, an authority that will represent the whole of a community. Uh, it gets you some very distorted results. One of the consequences of this is if you are an inexperienced politician standing for a party that hasn't historically done particularly well, you're pretty certain you're not going to get elected. So you can be what's called a paper candidate. It means you put your name on the paper and at least people can vote for you if they want. So I was fairly certain I wouldn't get elected. We did, however, my local party wasn't was a bit short of enthusiastic candidates. I ended up, they were actually campaigning for me and I came second after a lot of hard work. I thought I could actually work out how many hours I spent delivering and divide that into number of votes and work out how many votes I earned per hour. But at least it kept me fit. And I started learning an awful lot. Uh, it was hard work learning it. None of it came naturally. I'd worked in IT. So I was completely focused on presenting the facts and build a sensible argument from that. And people would agree with me if I'd done my analysis right. Well, politics doesn't work that way. Uh, it's been changing over the last eight years that I've been involved, especially with COVID. People value more and more the human touch, the emotional touch. It's no good putting out a piece of literature saying liberals have the best ideas because you've really got to connect with people, have some nice friendly pictures, stories, not facts. You have to have a really good underlying argument in case anyone challenges you, but you present that in a much more touchy-feely, emotive way. Uh, put lots of pretty pictures in your literature, more pictures than words, and say, basically it comes down to marketing, and I really had to learn that from scratch. One of the great things about this was very quickly, somebody said, oh, you need to join Toastmasters, practice public speaking. And a few months later, somebody completely different said, you need to join Toastmasters and practice public speaking. So here I am. So if I hadn't got involved in politics, I wouldn't be a Toastmaster. Makes it, that in itself makes it worthwhile. I've made friends, I've learned new skills, gained a lot of confidence. Anyway, after that first year when I concentrated on delivering pieces of paper, uh, which didn't feel particularly useful at the moment, at the time, but I've since learned that is a great way if you're new to an area if the party hasn't done much in that area recently, delivery, getting people paper through the door is the best way to start. I kept trying year after year. I've stood in eight elections. So this was my eighth election. I started, I didn't realise what a challenge I had. The National Party had been in coalition and was very unpopular. Uh, the first 
election I witnessed was when most of our MPs got wiped out, lost their seats. We went from 50 odd to, I think, eight, which was depressing. Uh, but it was still possible for people at my level to win their award just by doing the right thing and being out there. But I wasn't out there enough. So I kept learning. I kept trying out different ways, use social media. I slowly got comfortable with the idea of canvassing, knocking on doors, actually talking to people. I slowly learned, and I think uh, other people would have learned a lot faster. When you knock on the door, you're not actually trying to convince somebody to vote for you. You are trying to find the people who are minded to vote for you anyway. So you then know you can deliver paper to them and focus on them. You're never going to uh, get 100% of the vote. Well, not in the UK, not in a proper democracy. And you don't need to. And you haven't got time to uh, argue through with every elector and convince each one individually. So you just have to get out there, put in as much time as you can and hope that national and global events sort of fall your way and do you know help convince the uh, electorate that your political party is uh, the right one for the times. Over the years, I kept standing. Some years I got more votes than others. I kept thinking, I shouldn't be doing this. There should be somebody better than me. But nobody better ever came forward. There were a few people who made it clear they thought I was um, burnt out, never going to get elected. But those people never actually stood up themselves and said, I want to win that seat or I've got this friend who do a much better job than you. They just said, no, you're not good enough. And one of the most valuable lessons I've learned is ignore those people. And if anybody tells you you're doing a bad job, you ask one of two questions. One, when are you going to start doing it yourself then? Or two, how are you going to help me do better? I don't want advice. I want action. You think I'm not delivering enough leaflets? Come and join my delivery team. You think my leaflets aren't good enough? You write an article for me. Never accept, as a volunteer this is, never accept criticism from people who aren't prepared to help you put things better, make things better. So I kept trying and by 20 votes, about a fortnight ago, I got elected. Uh, it was a dramatic night. I One of my campaign points was all... Uh, residential areas should have a 20 mile an hour speed limit, which in the UK, the slogan is 20 is plenty. And somebody pointed out to me that, yeah, but I probably didn't mean 20 votes because that's an uncomfortably close majority. Say it was dramatic. Votes were counted overnight. So I was up at five o'clock in the morning, sorting these out, delivering. And I was actually, I don't think I slept for about 36 hours. We started counting votes at about 11 o'clock at night. By one o'clock, if you'd asked me, Philippa, would you like a seat on the council or would you like to go to bed right now? I've got this nice comfy bed. I think I'd have taken the bed. But come two o'clock, um, natural rhythms, sleep rhythms had kicked in and I was feeling quite awake. 
then realised that maybe I'd done it. And obviously that 20 votes were going to be uh, challenged by the uh, opposition. So it was a um, tense half hour. My husband was there. I forgot to tell him I'd actually possibly won the election. He was wondering what was going on, wondering why all my uh, political colleagues were getting quite excited. But winning was actually, I took a deep breath. I said earlier, I've been psyching myself up to win or lose, act graciously. And I did it. Fortunately, nobody asked us to uh, ask anyone to make a speech. So I was excused that. Didn't have to worry about uh, thanking everybody and so on. And yeah, I spent the last fortnight uh, coming to terms with being a councillor. I'd privately thought, mm, are you going to make the best sort of councillor? But actually, I'm loving it. And it's very weird. You have to be political to get elected. But there's an awful lot about being a councillor where you have to be apolitical, do the right thing, do it as well as possible, collaborate across the political spectrum. And yeah, it's great. I'm very happy. I'm also very aware that because where I live, there have been shifts in population over the last few years, we're actually going to have new electoral boundaries next year, which means all the councillors have to be re-elected. So I'm actually only a councillor for one year. I've got one year to uh, convince the uh, electorate to re-elect me, whereas normally I'd get three years, four years, in fact. So I could have um, it's sort of years practice or whatever. I should be busy in the next 12 months. That is my soapbox. Thank you. Back to you, Violetta. Thank you. Thank you, Philippa. It's, I, it seems like a very great experience and... Um... You are very committed and determined to be a good counselor. Counselor, and um, I do believe that uh, this year will pass for you quickly, and will be challenging and successful. It was hard work, but I got out far more than I put in simply by making friends, learning skills, great experience. True, really true. Philippa, you have me thinking based on your experience of that the best way to become a Toastmaster is to start by being a politician. So I'm thinking that perhaps there could be a Toastmasters club specially for budding politicians. Now, question to you. Do you think such an idea could ever work? Toastmasters for politicians. I think it could. Now, I have just joined a new club, Sustainable Speakers, which is for people who are concerned about climate change and all the problems around that. So we can all learn more and practice persuading the world at large that uh, they need to take action, which is pretty, it is politics. And so, yes, I think we should have a Toastmasters for budding politicians, aspiring politicians. Good idea, Paul. I'll put it on my to-do list. Thank you, Philippa. With this, dear listeners, we finish our today's podcast. And I, Violeta Saladiene, say goodbye from, to you. Bye-bye, listeners. Thank you very much for tuning in. And goodbye from me. And let's, let's let our guests say goodbye. Cheerio.
That's it for today from the Shilling Toastmasters podcast. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe and share with your friends.